Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor O'Gara. And I am an idiot. I might not be... I've been saying it. I, I might not be as big of an idiot as, as Swag Kelly. Um, too soon? That's a bad look. Too soon. Um, but nonetheless, um, I am a man who owns up to my mistakes, and that's what I'm going to do because I made a I made a dumb mistake, a very dumb mistake on Sunday's pod. I was reading. Oh yeah. I was reading the five star review. By the way, you should have caught me on this. I was reading the. F- I did. I said something about. it. I said, nope, that's not right. Yeah. Well, that doesn't specify. Okay. Let me let me let me say. <laughs> let me get through this. So I read a five star review on Sunday, and it included Scott Cochran. Um, that somebody had said Scott Cochran would win the SEC coach cage match you know, discussion that we were having the other day and that assistant, if they were included, he would be number one. So I don't know why, but my dumb brain said that Cochran was the Ole Miss offensive coordinator. I yeah. I was fried on a, on a Sunday morning after a long day of football. No, I, I don't have any excuse. Long day of water. <laughs> Ole Miss offensive coordinator, Phil Longo, I, that dude is intimidating. And that's who, for whatever reason, I don't know why, I thought of him. I know who Scott Cochran is. I know that he's the trophy-smashing Alabama strength coach. So I think that it's only fitting, as an apology, I am going to smash the next second-place trophy that I win. Are you entering a lot of things where you get trophies? I am actually adults now. I am wearing a T-shirt that I won eight years ago because it was the last baseball game I ever played. By the way, sick brag, I wasn't a college baseball player, but I did play you know, like adult league baseball, and we won the league championship. Oh, so this was what we won. Um, just saying, throwing that out there. But if I had gotten second place, I would smash this right now. So well, first place is a t-shirt. What would second place have been? Like a bandana? I don't know. I don't. I don't think they got squat. It was pretty rewarding, actually. Uh, <laughs> we've got a ton to get to today. We've got an interview with our really good friend Chris Doring, big Mojito fan, by the way. Oh, man. He broke my heart for like a, several minutes in that that, article, that uh, interview. We're of course going to talk Florida, Georgia. We're going to do a little bit of Bama LSU previewing. Uh, we've got all the other games that we're going to get to as well. Fourth and wrong. Before we do all of that stuff, got to talk to you guys about our friends at your favorite company, or one of your fa- one of your favorite companies, Texas Pete. I mean, I buy I buy a lot of stock. I think we all know that. I di- I diversify my portfolio. No, you don't. No, I don't have a portfolio. I have a, a trapper keeper. It's Lisa Frank. Anyway, um, today I'd like to talk to you about our presenting sponsor, Texas Pete. The SDS Pod presented by Texas Pete. As you guys know, we don't just put up anybody that's our sponsor here. These are things we love. Probably a little bit too much. Uh, I, I have it, like we say, like probably three, four, seven times a day. Regardless, for as long as I can remember, I've been putting baked chicken douse in Texas Pete. Fried chicken doused in Texas Pete, bold shrimp, grilled shrimp, broiled shrimp, all that stuff. Um, for years now, Texas Pete has been synonymous with the days of watching football, not just for me, but for all my friends and family. Uh, if you're looking for a way to kick up your menu while you're tailgating or just overall food options during the day, I don't know, maybe a little potato salad, maybe some eggs, put it on toast, whatever you want to do. Uh, they have amazing recipes that aren't just good, they're simple and delicious. So... Don't forget to pick up a bottle of Texas Pete hot sauce at your local store before this week's game day. You can get it like me on the black market in bulk. It's whatever. Um, nothing makes a game day better than Texas Pete. You can't stand the Pete. Stay out of the kitchen. Guys, strap in. We got a great show for you. I don't know if great is the right word, but I wrote the uh, the outline, so should be fun. Yeah, so strap in. This is going to be a fun one. Um, and, of course, the first thing that we got to talk about, these Devin White billboards. Free Devin White. They were bought and put up. Are you wearing a free Devin White t-shirt? 
No, no, you wish. Um, it's in the wash. I got Texas Pete all over it. <laughs> Uh, these these signs were uh, these billboards were put up near Birmingham, the SEC offices. Everybody's talking about this this targeting call. Devin White, the LSU star, who's going to have to sit out the first half of the Alabama game a week from Saturday. Thirteen different billboards, and we'll just kind of run through the, some of the money here. Twenty three hundred dollars for a billboard in Metro Birmingham, which yeah, that's that's not that bad, but still, I mean that that adds what? up. You know, for compared to other billboard prices, I've I've heard of a lot worse. Go down to Orlando what and is talk 13 about thirteen times twenty three. Uh, real quick math. That's twenty-three plus sixty-nine. So it's it's literally nice. twenty-nine thousand nine hundred dollars. That's just in my head. No big deal. I'm really good at mental math and cursive handwriting. Anyway, twenty-nine thousand nine hundred dollars. I don't like. I I love the the effort, but yeah, you showed them. <laughs> um, I, like what? This is this is it might mean too much in, a, in very many ways, but at the same time, I actually think it's really smart in that you're trying to. Hear me out on this. LSU fans, as passionate as they are, they're trying to get this rule change. I mean, that, that's that's the reality of the situation. When you have this big of an outcry, maybe it forces the NCAA to take a look at this at season's end and say, you know what? Yeah. Probably suspending a guy for the first half of the following game is a bit excessive, and it can have a pretty big impact on the way that the college football season plays out, especially in a game that's going to feature two top four teams. So you, you bring up some good points here in that, so LSU fans. I mean, I got a, I have a couple of things I want to say on it, and I, I get what you're saying. I don't think they're like championing this whole change for like the good of football. But so this doesn't it's happen again. Is, Devin White this one game. Yeah. Well, I mean. Yeah. Well, he hasn't beat him the last three years he's been there. So, I mean, I feel like it's it, it just it seems a little bit misguided. Regardless, I underestimated LSU fans. How much money in disposable income do they have? They're richer than you and I. We're talking like that. thirty grand for these billboards. Not to mention all those like, you know, thirty-six dollar uh, checks they were sending up to to Cole Tracy's alma mater. It's incredible. I have no idea how they can afford this. Um, the the James the James Carville quote. Uh, I, I would believe the the Saudi government before I'd believe the SEC commissioner's office. Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> Good God. I mean, I've heard some crazy stuff on that show, but I, I didn't think I would hear it from him. It was <laughs> it was incredible. I mean, and this isn't just the SEC. I mean, this is a college football-wide issue with you know having the policy in place to be able to overturn calls like this. Yeah. It's going to be a popular topic of discussion throughout the week and leading up to this. Um, I was on a, a good friend, uh, Long Island Ice-T, uh, on their show in, in, uh, in Baton Rouge, and they were talking about how Devin White should definitely ride out on one of his horses at halftime. Yes. Onto the field. I mean, that's... I'm in for that. Daisy May. I mean, he shouldn't ready. be suspended at all. No, he shouldn't be, but I mean, let's Is make... Is that the, the name of the horse? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's let's make the best of the situation. Devin White, just ride out on a horse. We all have a good laugh. You come in in the second half, and this ends up being a down-of-the-wire game. That's all we can really hope for in all this, right? Well, you. those are your words. Also, why do you know his horse's name? Because I was the one who brought up the horse subject at SEC Media Days, because I wanted to ask him about the horses, because... It was, I think, Greg Sankey was talking about, this. yeah, Greg Sankey was talking about, he's like, oh, the great student athletes we have here, blah, blah, blah. And he's like saying, like, this guy has a 3.8 GPA. And he's like, Devin White owns seven horses. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait what? And then, so, of course, <laughs> the only questions I asked Devin White were horse-related. Naturally, yeah. Yeah, so that's. I remember that because I brought up on the pod making fun of, like, horse girls. And you're like, my mother-in-law owns three horses. Yeah. I was like, well, we're never going to be friends. Yeah, so. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll talk a whole lot of uh, Bama, LSU stuff uh, in the next week, definitely. But let's talk about some games that are going to be happening this Saturday. 
A&M, Mississippi State. This game is odd in that A&M yeah. is not favored in this one, despite the fact that A&M comes in um, sitting there, you know, with a winning record in what I believe to be the toughest division in, in college football, Mississippi State's offense. Very well documented. But the most important thing here is that Mississippi State comes in, yes, with the technically the number one rushing defense or number one rushing offense in the SEC. Texas A&M comes in with the number one rushing defense. This is the part of the podcast where I get my mic out focus. Yeah, definitely big something has to give game. But what's weird to think about is that two, three months ago, when we're talking about season outlooks and stuff, I was in love with the roster that Joe Moorhead had to be able to win 10 games. Obviously, that's been, you know, we discussed that a lot. But how about the job that Jimbo Fisher has done with it his... Don't make it right, Connor. How about, the, how about the job that Jimbo Fisher has done with his roster, his inherited roster, compared to Joe Moorhead? No, I mean, it wasn't like the cover was bare. No, it wasn't bare, but at the same time, this is still a seven-win team from last year. Yeah, and and all like all you all need to in, all you need to do is look at the quarterback situation and see how drastic. Tight end, yeah, tight end as well. And the defense. Well, I mean, yeah, I could probably Hell, make almost it. the whole team. I, I would say that Joe Moorhead is also you know it's not like he made the defense worse at Mississippi State. You know, no, no, I'm saying I'm saying Jimbo like that's that's probably the most improved defense nationally or statistically in the entire country. Right. Yeah, statistically speaking, the 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 Texas A&M defense is really really good considering what they've been able to play against in competition with Bama, Clemson, you know, Kentucky, right. all that stuff. But what I wanted to get to is this game last year was a 35 to 14 Mississippi State win in College Station. As you recall, Kellen Mond got benched in this game. Oh, yeah, he when was Bieber came in. Bieber came in because Mond was 8 of 26 for 56 yards and two interceptions in this game. I remember this. By the way, Nick Fitzgerald, 250, nearly 250 yards of offense, three touchdowns, and his team, like I said, put up 35 points. Here is your stat of the day. Mississippi State has played in four SEC games this year. They have a total of 39 points in those games. I have a better stat for you, Connor. Uh-oh, don't be that guy. No, I mean, I'm not trying to one-up you, just, you know, just to add to it. Nick Fitzgerald ranks last among starting SEC quarterbacks against SEC uh, in conference games. He ranks last in six different passing statistics. That's tough to do, including passing touchdowns, which he has none of. Zero. How are you behind Terry Wilson? That's I'm not behind Terry Wilson. Well, you're, you're tied with Terry I'm, Wilson. I'm always beside Terry Wilson because we're neighbors. This is true. People forget that. Yeah, the, the, the difference between these two quarterbacks and the way that Kellen Mond has improved in one offseason with Jimbo Fisher compared to Nick Fitzgerald yeah. obviously has regressed a lot as a passer, and it just looks like the game is, is too fast for him and Joe Moorhead's system. I think it'd be, it's really interesting to think about the fact that Mond got benched in this game last year, and now this year we're talking about Fitzgerald whether or not he's going to be able to right. play an entire game and they're going to, if they're going to go to Keaton Thompson. I think that's that's sort of fascinating to see where these programs have gone since that game last year. You know, I mean, we talked about it on Sunday too, and like it, it's not, <clears throat> it has much less to do with like sitting Nick Fitzgerald because he's not playing that well. It has a lot to do with the fact that like you got to win ball games, man. He's not getting it done. Like I, I get he's a senior. I get he came back and like you – there's a lot of excuses as to why you wouldn't want to bench him. He's got like just all these career numbers, but dude, you got to win football games. Yeah, and we'll we'll get to this later when we're talking about the. Maybe he's left-handed. Uh, 
he can throw the ball pretty hard. It's that's not really his issue. He overthrows everyone. I mean, I yeah. Maybe he should do uh, five yards and in should be lefty, and then when he throws it twenty yards and further, he throws it righty or something like that. I don't know. Right. Um, you guys Agreed. You guys figure out the math on that one, but. Let's do some over-unders with other games around the SEC. We've got Tennessee, South Carolina, Kentucky, Mizzou, Vandy, Arkansas. Some games that actually have some some pretty close spreads too. But we're gonna we'll talk about those later. Some over-unders first. Let's first hit on this um, this really really weird Kentucky Mizzou game where Mizzou is somehow a touchdown favorite. How many times are we going to hear references to the fact that Mizzou is a touchdown favorite? I set the over/under at two point five. We will pass that halfway through the first quarter, because I, I feel like it, I have I have like a bunch of buddies like we talked about before that are big Mizzou fans. Even they're like surprised and blown away. Like, what? Why? Why is this happening? This is one of those Vegas knows something that we don't, and they're probably thinking that with Emmanuel Hall that this is a much different Mizzou offense. Um, I think he's still not one hundred percent. Still not at one hundred percent. We don't know how good he's going to be if he's going to be able to stretch the field. Uh, I will also, I'm, I'm going to take the over on that. I, I'm, all these are references to the broadcast, of course, when I say like right. how many times are we going to hear it. Of course, fans are going to talk about it a ton. We talk about it a ton. How about this? Speaking of Manuel Hall, how many graphics are we going to see of Mizzou's offense with Manuel Hall versus Mizzou's offense without Emmanuel Hall? Not enough. I mean, thank God they got Alberto. Over-under is at 1.5. Oh, it is definitely over. So we'll see, we'll see multiple, like... We're going to see the Drew Locke offensive numbers, and then we're going to see like Mizzou as a whole, those offensive numbers too. Right. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, are we are we still trying to say that he's the number one overall pick in the draft? Like that? No, 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 no. I don't think anybody is, is. I think even the people who were saying that in the preseason were, I mean, getting ahead of themselves. And I, I don't know if a lot of people were saying that he should be number one overall, but I think a lot of people had the first round talking he could still have the first round talk after this year i mean i don't think there's any doubt about that if he picks right, it up down the stretch skills. yeah i mean if he plays like he did down the stretch last year and this is an offense that starts putting up points in a more favorable end of the season then you know who knows crazier things can happen justin herbert in my opinion is still you know far and away the, yeah, the top quarterback doubt. in this class but we will uh wait and see how that one plays out how about let's talk about the kentucky quarterback situation uh, by the way shout out benny snell because Benny Snell said, if all hell broke, breaks loose, he will play quarterback and do exactly what he said. What Just, we said, we play the Wildcat. Let him do it anyway. Let's let him play the Wildcat the whole time. Who says no? <laughs> How many? I mean, I feel like he can get three three completions in. I Easily. And Benny Snell's probably one of those guys, too, with, uh, like, Ronnie Brown. Like, wasn't Ronnie Brown a lefty, and you didn't realize that until... Yeah, he, you didn't know it until, like, the moment he threw yeah, it. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't think he realized it until he threw it, either. It was just, like, <laughs> it just like, like we all learned together. Uh, oh, oh that's, that's what it looks like when Ronnie Brown throws a forward pass. My guy, wow. Ronnie Brown. Um, so, how many times are we going to hear quarterback controversy referenced on the broadcast when referring to Kentucky? Because we think our good neighbor, Terry Wilson could potentially lose some snaps in this one to Gunnar Hoke. Okay, so I'm going to say under on the quarterback controversy because I think he's going to get taken out of the game. It, but, like, the whole – I don't think controversy is the right word. One-dimensional offense, that'll be way over four. Yeah, that's true. That's true. How is he still – like, I saw the stat today. Gunnar Hoke, first off, he should definitely be starting. His name's Gunnar. Yeah, I know. And he's a quarterback. I mean, that's incredible. Um, he's only completed eight passes on 14 attempts. Terry Wilson has been bad for most of the year, and we love him. I mean, 
man, he makes a Mexican street corn that'll blow your socks off, man. When he gets like, when he gets the barbecue going outside, everybody comes oh, over. Man. They they smell it. It's you know he's a great neighbor. He's a great guy to have. You ever need anything? You just he pop cut my over grass a couple weeks ago. Gosh, we I sprained my ankle in a mixed doubles tennis match, and so he had to come over and, and take care of it for me. But yeah, I would rather have Gunner to win me a football game. I think. I think I don't. I mean. Do they even does, do they even need a quarterback at this point? I don't know. I, I mean, they will against Georgia, obviously, but this is game Ooh. is kind of the precursor to that. And <clears throat> if you're not able to move the ball passing at all, that that spread for that Georgia game, even though that game is at Kroger Field, the place that we know Again. from our good friend Luke Del Rio, nobody gets out of alive except him. I would still tend to think that you need to be able to throw the ball at, at some point. I mean, you would think that, but you know, they're they're one loss this season. Overtime against, I mean, against a pretty good team and in one of the toughest environments. Like, maybe they don't need a quarterback. Maybe they just bring in Cash Daniels. And we talk about that that option uh, quarterback with, like, the, what do you call it, middle bar face mask. I'd Just do that. I'd be fine with that. I, I think Kentucky fans would be okay with that, too. Let's go from one quarterback with a, a great name, Gunnar Hoke, to another quarterback with probably an even better name that we've given him, and that is Michael Skarn. Oh, yeah, sorry. I thought it was story time. No, it's not. Not just here. It's just, just chill. We'll, we'll get there. How many times in this Tennessee-South Carolina game are we going to see a shot of Michael Skarn, a.k.a. Michael Skarnickia, whatever, um, throwing the ball on the sidelines? I have the over-under at 4.5. Yeah, I would say over. I mean, it. well, I don't know. That seems like a lot because he would just hopefully go in at that point. But So I will say this in Jake Bentley's defense. I, I saw this the other day. He leads the SEC in interceptions with seven. Right? That's not good. That's bad. Real bad. However, you know he also has the highest on-target percentage of throws in the entire SEC? Only 10.4% of his passes are off-target. There's there's something to be said for that. Because in this offense with Brian McClendon, there are a lot of short passes. And we saw, like against Georgia, where he throws it right at Rico Dottle and he just can't hold on to it. And that's a pick six. Or, well, basically a pick six, even though DeAndre Baker fumbled on the goal. Yeah. Line, whatever. That is a that is a fair point because he might not be quite as bad as some it's of the bad. numbers have made him out to be. I still question whether or not he's going to be able to play 60 minutes against Jeremy Pruitt's defense. By the way, he only scored 15 points against this defense last year, right? I mean, this game was... This is an eight and a half points per... Oh, that was that game. That was like the 15 to 9, nine game? Yeah. Ugh. And then the, like the quarterbacks hugged afterwards? That was Little League stuff. That game did not feel like uh, Jake Bentley's finest hour on the field just in terms of an on the field performance right. standpoint obviously i think he won like the, the sec sportsmanship of the war sportsmanship he of the did, year yeah. award for that but not, nobody's nobody's hating on that but this is you got to be able to win games in south carolina it remains to be seen whether or not jake bentley is the guy or if michael scarn will come in front level midnight it's an eight and a half point spread that's surprising that's really yeah, surprising. right that's why i said it man that's why i brought it up wait is our good friend uh tom hart on the on the broadcast Cause, I, oh, yeah, it's a 7.30 game. this is at night, so all we got to do, just shoot Tom and Tax, be like, hey, you, you, need to, you need to definitely make make sure you say to your producers as many shots of Michael Scarn as possible. We'll give yeah, them permission. No we will totally give them permission to use our Threat Level Midnight movie poster if they no, want. What? No, absolutely not. That's ours. No, no, it's, come on. We'll, we'll take some good pub. I mean, I think that was that was very well put together. That's fair. I didn't do it, so that's fine. Um, let's move on to, oh, yeah, no, no, no real quick. How many references are we going to get to the Saban coaching tree? Ugh. Will Muschamp, Jeremy Pruitt. I set the over-under at 3.5. I'll say under, but it'll be 
All of the references will be like right in the beginning of the game. Yep. It'll, ugh. We get it. There's gonna be. I a like Saban. I'm I'm even tired of it. There's gonna be a point where every single SEC game has at least one Saban coaching tree reference. It's getting there. I, I really just I want him to get like like somebody that's not qualified, like Scott Cochran, becomes like head coach of like Toledo. The Ole Miss offensive like, coordinator. Exactly. <laughs> like this this coaching tree is not very good, y'all. Yeah. Which I could also see Saban doing, just been like intentionally not teaching them the things like that would help them be like good coaches because he doesn't want them to be better than him. I look forward to that. I look forward to the, the graphic where we see they do some creative thing where it's basically like an ancestry thing where Saban's at the top Black of it. Black and white. Yeah. We, oh, yeah. We'll, we'll get one of those for sure. Let's move on to our favorite game in the SEC this week. It's Vandy. It's Arkansas. It's the ultimate something has to give game. Neither team has won an <sighs> SEC game. That, we expect, will change on Saturday unless they tie. Why Why? Are this, why is this game happening? I mean, something's got to give. We don't deserve this. I mean, so I, I thought about this earlier today. Remember that episode of The Office where they're at the picnic and Toby is, like, hanging out with the other miserable HR guys? Like, oh, yeah, that, <laughs> that was hilarious. That's all I can think of when I look at this game. It's like, ugh. Like, you know it's not going to be high scoring. It's not going to be very entertaining. I mean... It could be a good game. It opened in favor of Arkansas by one and a half, and it moved Vandy for the second week in a row. The line has moved in their favor. How many times are we going to hear those words in on the broadcast? Something's got to give. I set the over/under at five. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, that's good. I'd say more than that. It's a great movie too. Wait, who's in that? I think Angela Bassett. I don't know. I feel like you could have just be. thrown out any actor there. I did. Yeah. yeah. How many rushing yards for our good friend Rakeem Boyd, last chance U star? I set the over under at 110. I think that's probably about right. I mean, he had over 100 yards. I thought it was going to be his second consecutive 100 yard rushing game last week, and then he ended up taking a loss on his next carry, so he ended up with like 99. Vandy's uh, given up, ooh, 195 yards a game. Ranks 102nd in the country. So, yeah. Woof. I mean, he, he's, their, he's their workhorse. No doubt about it. This, I would expect Arkansas to rely heavily on him, especially if your favorite quarterback, now is your time. This is the story of a hurl. Nailed it. Especially if he's still banged up in this one, you're going to want to rely on the running game, especially when last week Kentucky basically just said, we're not going to throw the ball. We don't care. We're just going to run the entire time. So, Rakeem Boyd, I take the over on the, the, the 110. Let's move on to – we. okay, so I said that we are going to talk a lot more about Bama LSU uh, throughout the week. It turned out that was just – 15 minutes later, you have some great suggestions for things that Alabama fans and LSU fans can do during the bye week. So this bye week is the same for both teams every year. Uh, I usually hate it because it's like, well, what am I going to do? I, I get to watch Georgia, Florida, but then like what? Primetime, I got to watch Notre Dame and Navy and then Carolina and Tennessee have like a left-handed thumb war and pretend it's football. It's going to be awful to watch. Regardless, um, yeah, you know, like this is also the week where a lot of your significant others are going to try to get you to go to some stupid apple orchard or a pumpkin patch or, or the mountains to see the foliage. So I've come up with a list of things that you can do uh, to help pass the time this weekend. One, uh, celebrate National Bologna Day. That's today. Ooh. Yeah. And if you're, if you're celebrating that, like we've got some other issues we need to probably bring up, but like, you know, it seems like these two states would probably be pretty excited about that. I know Alabama is. I don't think I've had um, bologna in over tw- at least 20 years. 
Is that bad? Uh, even as like a pretty like lower class white person from Alabama, even I knew that bologna was like not good enough for my taste buds. It's the hot like, dog. Uh, no, thank you. Yeah, it's so gross. Um, anyway. Uh, second one, start thinking of excuses for whatever team loses. LSU's off to a hot start with that, with the whole Devin White thing. Uh, third, write angry letters. <clears throat> Excuse me. Voice is going out. Oh, man. <clears throat> You're dying. Ugh. Here we go. You're Back at it. Up. It's a Coach O thing. Uh, write angry letters to the HOA about neighbors who take Halloween decorations way too far. By the way, let me just say HOA, spelled wrong. HOA is criminal. The fa- I, I know this is going to sound very Ron Swanson-esque, but HOA is the worst thing in the world. As we are, I'm, my wife and I are looking for houses right now, sick brag. Um, HOA, every single time I see that, oh, and by the way, HOA is $350 a month. $350 a month? Get out of here with that crap. I can mow my own lawn, all right? Why don't you just, just, just go away, all right? If I want to pool, problems, I'll go there. All these problems you're, you're talking about, man, I have, I have nothing to offer on that. I slept in a fort that I made last night in the guest room. Crafty. Yeah, it was actually pretty fun. Um, anyway, the uh, number four, uncover the trail of collusion between Saban and Putin. It's there. You just got to look for it. Have you seen his emails? I'm not, I'm not even going to get into it. Uh, five, make sure Coach O is leashed and tethered to a pole or something in the backyard so he doesn't burn himself out too early for next week. I feel like that's more on you than anyone that's listening to this. That, yeah, it's also, that's a very uh, yeah, it's astute point there. Um, next, get to the bottom of my conspiracy theory that James Carville is actually not a human being and instead uh, a ventriloquist puppet. Uh, you I, cannot convince me otherwise. I, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of truth in that, too. And a bye week is the perfect time to investigate. Agreed. Uh, get a GoFundMe for fines so you can play neck, rush the field, all that good stuff. Last but not least, Bama fans, find hobbies. Learn about current events. Engage in conversations about literally anything other than just Bama or Tua stats. Or, those are all really good ideas, or I've got one more to add to your list. Pumpkin patch. Definitely not pumpkin patch. Uh, those, are, those are all right, but, you know, they get old after like a half hour, and then you say, okay. What do you do? Yeah, what do you do for more than a half hour of pumpkin patch? <sighs> if you want to go to a haunted house, all right. I'm a little bit more on board with that, that, but, you know, pumpkin patch, yeah. Um, anyways, if you don't want to partake in any of that fall, fall fun stuff uh, on a Friday night, what you could be doing... You could either go Ooh. there or you could set your DVR. Friday night, ESPN2. It is the next great Alabama quarterback battle. I wrote on this subject for, for SDS this week. Got to talk to some really cool people for this story. Trent Dilfer, um, the Hewitt Trustville coach, Josh Floyd, Rudy Griffin, who's a former Bama defensive lineman. Rudy Griffin, number 97? Rudy Griffin, number 97. That's the one. Um, he's an assistant coach at Hewitt Trustville. And then uh, Mark Freeman, who's the Thompson coach. I'm talking, of course, about the fact that Alabama has this situation where if it plays out as we expect it to, which is Tua leaving in 2019, after the 2019 season to go to the NFL, all that stuff, Alabama has two quarterbacks committed in this 2019 class. It is Tua's Tua's little brother, Talia Tungavaloa, and Bear Bryant's great-grandson. They are playing each other on Friday night on ESPN2, it's going to be electric. It's going to be absolutely awesome. It was really cool getting to do some digging for this for this story. Talk to guys, our our good friend Trent Ilfer, who had them both at Elite Eleven, where they were roommates together, and seeing this dynamic play out is going to be so so much fun to watch. And it was weird because these kids committed 16 days apart. Most most 
most teams nowadays don't get two quarterbacks in a class. Alabama didn't get one in right. its class until very later on um, after signing day last year. But, but it's the names. It's the names. I mean, you have I mean, the <laughs> ultimate Alabama legacy against potentially the greatest quarterback in, in Alabama history. And these, these two guys, if they stay committed to Alabama, will have a chance, as well as Mac Jones, by the way, just throwing that out there, to compete for the starting job in 2020, we would assume. I hope they all transfer, and then we get like Joe Namath's like illegitimate grandson. He's definitely like, that, that should have. That should have. Yeah, that should have been the segment. Was like, like because when, when I first heard this, like I I know, and I'm guilty of it sometimes too. But like Bama fans have a tendency to really get excited about stuff that probably isn't that big of a deal, and so the whole quarterback thing the entire offseason was like, oh my god, I'm so over Jalen or Tua, Jalen or Tua, and then you see we bring in Tua's little brother. It's like, well, okay, they're gonna want him to start for four years after that, and it's like. Oh, no, he's going up against Bear Bryant's son. Bear Bryant's great-grandson. But, yeah, Bear Bryant's yeah, son would be a little bit too old to be playing in this game. But um, He's in great shape, though. Nonetheless, uh, so go figure that these two kids are playing against each other. And, oh, by the way, Alabama is on bye this week. So they're expecting everybody to make the trip to Thompson to go watch I'm this going. game. You're not going to this game. You don't know that? I do know that. I've been tailgating all week. I've been in the high school parking lot just, just kicking back Texas Pete and Bud Latts. You're gonna be at a pumpkin patch somewhere um, in rural. I don't Atlanta. get the pumpkin patch. It's just you just sit there and look at the pumpkins, right? I don't know. Apparently, that's that's the. Cool Is that thing a fruit or a vegetable? Man, that's way too deep for me. Let's save that for fourth and wrong. Um, no, I yeah, don't think anybody asked that question, but make sure you check that out uh, on SaturdayDownSouth.com. Spent a lot of time on that. It was a really fun story to get to do, and I'm of course excited to see how uh, this plays out down the road, and if both kids end up staying committed to Alabama. Yeah. All right, big game of the week, Florida, Georgia, Jacksonville, cocktail party, whatever you want to call it. We got into some of this stuff with our good friend, Chris Doring. He went down memory lane, but I want you to go down memory lane and tell me some of your favorite Florida, Georgia moments. Okay, so growing up in in Georgia, surrounded by Georgia fans, um, this has always been like a big game for them, and like, when I was growing up, it they it did not go well for them. Florida's won 21 of the past 28, and that includes like I think three or four in a row from Georgia now. So here are my favorite moments because this is a great rivalry. It's still not Auburn Georgia, which is my favorite, but here are my favorite moments from this rivalry. Lindsey Scott, 1980. Um, obviously, like I think it was on third down. It's like a huge play. There's like less than two minutes to go. Georgia's undefeated. Ends up hitting Lindsey Scott on a slant route, and since everyone that was a defensive back back then was like 160 pounds and wore glasses, nobody could catch him. And then Larry Munson broke his chair and then announced it to everybody while he was doing it. Um, that's, a, that's an obvious one. Here's one for me. In 97, Robert Edwards, he was like a pretty good NFL back for a minute. Uh, it was their first win, I think, in like seven years. He had four touchdowns. Georgia won 37-17. They were a big underdog. I remember that game. Mainly because uh, I got um, shut down at a birthday party by a girl I had a crush on, and Alabama lost Louisiana Tech. Wait a minute, 1997, I'm doing some quick math here. Were you like 11, 12? 11, yeah. We had to go ice skating. I did not, I did not show well. That doesn't surprise me. That's not your thing. I wore, I wore shorts. Oh my gosh. I know, it was a lot. Anyway, moving on. 2002, I hate to bring this one up, Terrence Edwards drops a wide open pass. Like I've never seen somebody not want to catch something as much as he didn't want to catch this ball. Cost UGA an, an undefeated season. Tough loss, I, I know. Um, 2007, dance, dance, ugolution, huh? Am I right, guys? That's pretty good. So this is like the most uncharacteristic Mark Rick thing ever. 
They score the first touchdown. This is like Tebow's 50 touchdown year. Um, and the entire team went out on the field to, to dance and celebrate. And they ended up winning 42 to 30 because of no show Moreno. That team was like, I don't want to say underachieving, but they had like the most like swag that everyone like loved. Those that was the last time this was two top ten teams playing, wasn't it? Yeah, two thousand. No, it was two thousand eight. Oh yeah, it was two thousand eight. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Then where'd you get that stat, Connor? Huh? I was just trying. I was just trying to use my my brain, which is not very smart, obviously, but was trying to impress you with some stats. But no, no, I okay, never mind. Stat okay. Active. Last one. This and this is my all-time favorite. This is the only reason I even wanted to do the segment. This is my favorite moment, maybe not just in this rivalry's history, but in SEC history. Whoa. So, 2006, Joe Tereshinsky is the starting quarterback at Georgia. A girl I graduated high school with is married to him now. I'm, I hope, if you're listening, I'm not trying to insult your husband, but this was absolutely hilarious. So before the game, CBS is, like, taking a camera crew around, the, like, the stadium, like, the tailgates, and so I was like, can you spell Tereshinsky? And there's, like, five or six in a row. They're like, T-E-R, and they can't get to it. <laughs> All of a sudden, some drunk Georgia fan walks up and goes, oh, yeah, Tereshinsky? Yeah, I can do that. L-O-S-E-R. And that was it. And then he got benched later. It was one of the one of the most incredible moments I've seen. And I've seen a lot, brother. It was hilarious. Matt Stafford comes into that game. So, great rivalry, guys. Yeah. <laughs> can we get a moment like that? I mean, neither quarterback is a difficult name to spell, but... Um... Let's just get everybody trying to spell Tonga Bailoa. Let's let's try and do that. That's that, that segment's probably already happened. I just missed it, but I, I did it last year at Media Days with the company we work for. Gah! That's true. Come on. I meant I meant during a game, but yeah, I guess that that that'll suffice too. Um, Got to talk to you guys before we get to our interview with with Chris Doring. We're going to talk more Florida Georgia stuff, of course. But before we get to that, got to talk to you about our friends at Hood Hat. Yes, we talked about them a few weeks ago. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by Hood Hat. They are a hot new hat company out of LA. That's Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Hot new hat company. Very hot new hat company. Uh, they sell luxury snapback hats. They just launched their legend collection. That includes college football towns of SEC schools like Athens for the dogs. You've got College Station for AM, Davis Wade for Mississippi State, Death Valley, and Jordan Hare. This is a totally different way to rep your team. All you got to do, you're going to support your school and its hood by going to hoodhat.com. Use that discount code HOODUSA. That's H-O-O-D-U-S-A. You're going to get 20% off all your orders. That's hoodhat.com. Click the Legend Collection and use that promo code HOODUSA for 20% off. Also, make sure you're following them on Instagram at hoodhatusa. You're going to get more discounts, product reviews, and all that stuff. You're going to see all their new collections. I, I saw them on Instagram. I was like, these things are actually pretty sweet. That's not part of the ad read or anything, but yeah, I was they like, look really cool. I'm not much of a snapback guy, but if I was. I don't know if I could pull it off, but I want to try it. Yeah, I, I, I kind of do too. Um, Chris, when I go to the high school game this weekend, I'll do it. Chris Doring probably could pull off a snapback. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, uh, while he's sipping a mojito, just saying. Um, <laughs> let's, let's throw it to our interview with Chris Doring. We are excited to welcome back our good friend, Chris Doring. A repeat guest for us. Uh, you know him from SEC Network, Florida Gators fame, all that stuff. Chris is basically the the grittiest receiver in SEC history. Chris, do you feel comfortable if we call you that? The grittiest receiver. Gritty is like a uh, it's, a, it's a synonym for a white receiver, right? You guys, Whoa, gritty, those, those are your words. Route, right? That's that's I'm, kind of what you're saying. High motor. Just I mean, a high motor, very hustle yeah. guy. That's Lunch right. pail, all that. <laughs> Uh, Chris, 
Chris, let's talk about the, the rivalry that you know oh so well. It's Florida, Georgia this weekend. Um, it, it's got a completely different feel than last year, of course. At this time last year, did you ever envision a scenario where we could be fast-forwarding 365 days and looking at these two teams playing in a top-10 matchup, potentially for a chance to go to Atlanta, all those things, did you ever think that this would be possible, that we'd be sitting here today talking about this matchup in this light? No, especially when you look at last season in this game, what was it, 42-7 or 49-7, something like that, and it, it could have easily been 107. I mean, it was that big of a discrepancy between the talent that Georgia had and the uh, the talent and competitiveness that, that Florida had. They just lacked a ton of leadership. They, they lacked a direction, and clearly you know, that's the week that, um, that, that, that Coach Mack ended up getting fired after that game. So a lot changed uh, in, in a matter of, of time, but um, you know, I, I think it's 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 a credit to the new staff and, and what um, they've been able to not only not only create in terms of, of coaching on the field, but more so in changing the culture and changing the expectation level and, and pushing guys out of their comfort zone. I think that's where I've seen the biggest difference this year so far. So it's uh, yeah, it's, it's quite remarkable that we're talking about a completely different scenario this year just a year after what we uh, watched last year Chris I met you I guess last March it was around March Madness um, in Atlanta and I remember one of the things I had said uh, to my buddies I was like he's the most honest and candid person um, you know it's on TV and it's you know in the media and stuff like that, that I've been a long time you've been one of the most honest and realistic uh, Gator critics throughout the entire year Tell me your opinion on this Florida's team's success so far this season, whether or not it's more to do with Mullen uh, or more, more to do with the 20 returning starters and all the experience. I think it's a little bit of everything. I mean, I think the biggest thing that I've seen, and, and this dates back to last season, it dates back to what I saw in the spring, it dates back to what I saw in fall camp, and then where we are now, the growth. I mean, I think there were there were there was a lot of talent on the roster. There was a lot of guys that, that um, had potential, but didn't know how to how to reach that potential, and so I think it's a combination of of some talent and experience and guys that wanted to win, and Dan Mullen coming in at the right time with the right staff. I mean, I look at what Nick Savage, the strength and conditioning coordinator, has done in, in under a year in terms of not only changing the bodies of some of these guys, but also you know pushing them past their comfort zones and, and teaching them how. You can you can overcome the limitations that your your mind tries to set for your body, and I think that's really where you've seen them kind of expand their capacity a little bit. To borrow a phrase that, that Coach Stoops uses a lot in Kentucky, um, these guys have, have have found a way to kind of push through scenarios that they didn't last season. They found a way to deal with adversity. I mean, you know, I think the confidence level that I've seen from them. Since that loss to Kentucky and going on the road to Knoxville and winning, going on the road to Starkville and winning, you know, battling back from some adversity in Nashville early, where I think last year they probably would have, you know, packed the pin up and gone home at that point if they would have had the turnovers and the red zone struggles that they did early against Vanderbilt. That that that's you know to me a great illustration of, of how different this team is from last year. So I, I think it's a great combination of, of both of those, and that um, you know I look forward to them creating some more of that as they build recruiting classes that are that are recruited to fit the schemes that, that these these coaches want to run on both sides of the ball. You say adversity, like we just we mean McElwain, right? I'm 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it was it was four four and seven last year, right? Four and seven with uh, a ton of adversity from the start of the season. Look, think about what happened with the suspension of those nine right. or ten players last year, right before the season. Think about losing a guy like Jordan Scarlett. Think about you know having your coach lie about death threats and then all the the, the criticism that I came love from triangle. That ultimately, yeah, I mean, it was it was yeah. <laughs> There was all sorts of crazy stuff going on last year, but um, they they persevered. And, and I look at C.C. Jefferson. He's a guy that said that he's disappointed that he didn't have an opportunity to be in a real strength and conditioning program for his entire four years there. And, and what a difference that would have made for him and his development as a as a player and, and development as a you know as a leader on that team. You know, all jokes aside, um, you know, this could be a, a defining game for not only the 2018 season, but maybe the program. I know they had the big win against LSU, but a win against Georgia would be a pretty, pretty big win for this team, um, you know, throughout the season. What game during your career was kind of the turning point for Florida to make them kind of go from SEC East contender to national title contender? And you can't say Kentucky. Well, it, I, I, in all honesty, it was that Kentucky game. And I know you're trying to tell That's me right. I can't do that, but I think, <laughs> you know, not only is that is that one that I that I would point to, I think Coach Spurrier has pointed to it time and time again because it's easy for people now to forget, or even in some cases newer Gator fans, not to understand the history of our program and the ascent of our program. Right. You know, we we were always the wait till next year kind of fan base, right? There was always a one game that would trip Florida up. And even when Coach Springer came in in '90, you know, and kind of, you know, started winning some of those those, those games where we hadn't in the past, it was a, a situation where we would still go on the road. And they, they used to joke about us being roadkill. We we leave the the comfy confines of the swamp, go on the road, and, and lose a game that we should probably win. So to go to Lexington in '93 and throw seven interceptions in a game and still find a way to win that football game. That was that was clearly the beginning of the ascent to become a, a nationally prominent program. That was the first year that we won the SEC uh, championship game. The '92 inception of that game, um, we lost uh, to Alabama, but '93 we won it. '94 we won it. '95 we won it. We lost in the national title game, and then '96 they won it the next year and, and went on to win that national championship. So it really was that that '93. Uh, Kentucky game where we learned how to win, how to handle adversity, how to go on the road and, um, you know, overcome some, some struggles. And I think that uh, that clearly was the turning point for the Florida program. Chris, honest question. I, I just watched it again this morning and I've seen it a few times. <laughs> Dory's got a touchdown. Dory's got a touchdown. How many times have you watched the YouTube clip? Realistically. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. If I'm having if I'm having a bad day, you know, I'll clip the you know, throw that in and just uh, watch it real quick. It, it, no, no, I, I don't. But it, it is something that's not far from my mind, and I, I tell the story all the time. And I'll, I'll tell you guys when I go to when I go to Gator clubs, when I'm in the midst of a bunch of Gator fans, there's two things that I hear the most. Right? One is is I loved you on that national championship team in 1996, to which I have to respond. Thanks for bringing that up. I was on the '95 team that got demolished by Nebraska in the national championship but i appreciate that and then two i remember exactly where i was when you caught that pass against kentucky and i think that to me is the biggest compliment that you can receive because how many times in our life you know maybe a handful that we can remember exactly where we were and what we were doing when a memorable experience occurred and so for me to be remembered by gator fans in that way where they can tell me exactly what they were doing where they were who they were with is uh is something really special to me and it, it, it never really gets old that's awesome. I think a lot 
the, I think a lot of Georgia fans, like when when you talk about this game with them, I think that they they hate the the fact that they've got to go to Jacksonville every year. They point out the fact that Florida doesn't have to make the same trip that they do. All that stuff. You actually played in this game when it was a home and home, basically in '94, '95, because yeah. of the construction of the yeah. stadium. That of course led to Spurrier's legendary half a hundred quote. All that stuff. Should this game be played on each school's campus? Let, let me give you guys a little history of my life. You know, I grew up a I grew up a, uh, a Gator fan, as you guys know, in Gainesville, going to all the games. The, the Georgia fans didn't complain about going to Jacksonville when they were dominating us. You know, right. during the eighties. You know, and, and my childhood was tormented by guys like Herschel Walker. Buck Ballou to Lindsey Scott, all of those different plays were the things that stood out to me. So, you know, when Coach Spurrier came in and made it a point and said the number one goal for Florida was to beat Georgia, that was the gateway to achieving everything else that, that lay, lay beyond Georgia, you know, whether it was getting to, the, getting to the SEC title game, whether it was, you know, winning the national championship. Everything started with beating Georgia, and so it became a point of emphasis on our schedule. I love, I'm a traditionalist, I love going over to Jacksonville, I love seeing the orange and blue and red and black, I love all that goes along with that. Anytime there's a Hall of Fame for one particular game, I think that speaks to just how important that football game is. I'm honored to be in that Hall of Fame, it's something that is one of my, one of my favorite things on my resume, but um, I am fortunate enough to have played in, in Athens and played in Gainesville. I think I'm one of the few that ever got a chance to play in Jacksonville, Gainesville and Athens in, in my career, and so... I think that's something really special for me. I always had a lot of success against Georgia, and, and in fact, um, my final game against the Bulldogs up there between the hedges, we did hang half a hundred on them, and I did take a little <laughs> bit of the hedges home with me. I got those in, in a little in a, in a book at home. I told you. So uh, it is. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a special game for me, and I, I think it's one that um, you know all all Florida fans, all Georgia fans, really uh, anticipate all season long. I feel like every time that we have you on, we got to get at least one Spurrier story. Last time you gave us a story about him uh, basically saying, hey, Chris, we don't need that when you dropped the F-bomb at, at South Carolina. Um, yeah. <laughs> tell us tell us a Florida-Georgia story about Spurrier that we might not know. Ooh, shoot, a Florida-Georgia story. You know, the game, that game was so important to him, I believe, because of, of his time at Florida as a player. And them, you know, being close and losing some games against Georgia that, that prevented them from having more success. And I think it's something really personal. And I think we really kind of fed off that that authentic emotion that he had about his, his disdain for the Bulldogs and then about how important it was to go to Jacksonville and win. And, um, you know, I remember one year we were playing, I believe it was uh, 93, in the locker room he put up a, a, a picture you know, a bunch of different pictures that he had, you know, gotten photocopied of Eric Rett scoring a touchdown in the end zone against Georgia the previous year and a Georgia fan double flicking him off right in his face, you know. So he had these <laughs> pictures all up of, of uh, this Georgia fan with two birds up right in front of uh, Eric Rett's face. So that was kind of a, you know, bulletin board material for us before the, the 93 game when we went out there and shoot an I- iconic game where it was pouring rain, probably the worst rain I've ever experienced in my life. I was excited about the game because I was a big part of the game plan against Georgia's defense. They were playing a lot of cover two then, and I was going to catch a lot of corner routes, a lot of cover two posts. And then the rain kind of changed our game plan to where it really revolved around Eric Rett running the football a bunch. But uh, it didn't prevent Eric Zier. Eric Zier threw the ball, I think, 64 times or something like that in the football game, and we 
narrowly escaped that one with a win due to a timely timeout call by Anthony Lott down around the end zone that uh, took a touchdown away from from Georgia. So it was a uh, it was a it was another fun game and a long line of uh, really memorable games between Florida and Georgia. I feel like I know the answer to this, but that picture with Rhett scoring, he was doing the Q dog, wasn't he? He was. He was. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, if, if he was in the end zone, he was he was hitting that Q dog for sure. Every time. Um, so where does this rivalry rank in your mind? Uh, not just among you know Florida's rivalries, but among SEC rivalries because. You know, I grew up in Atlanta. Uh, this is definitely Georgia's biggest rivalry. They have like five, apparently, but this is definitely their biggest one. Well, where does it rank in your mind, and what is your best piece of trash talk uh, for this game? Well, I think, first of all, for me, I, I look back. It depends on when you became a Gator fan. So anybody that's been a Gator fan before the 90s probably would say that Georgia's the, the biggest rival on the schedule. I think it's been interesting now to see Georgia have some success not only in Jacksonville, but nationally, and, and what that's done to kind of reinvigorate the rivalry or, or the perspective of the rivalry for the Florida fans. Um, for a while there, it became Tennessee during the, the mid-'90s, um, and then I think it became back to Florida State a little bit more. But, uh, again, Georgia being in the east with us, being our neighbor uh, on the border there, all of the stuff that, that goes along with um, you know having to, to beat Georgia to achieve the rest of the goals – I think it's, it's made Georgia the number one rival on, on Florida's schedule again. And, and like you said, I mean, it, it is cool to be in the SEC where you have so many different rivals that mean so much. I mean, Florida, not only Tennessee and, and Florida State, but LSU's become a, a pretty good yeah. rivalry with the uh, the adversity over the last couple seasons with the, the, the Bengals, Tigers there. And then um, you know, I, I, I just I, I think it's from a from a conference perspective. You know, the, the, we just experienced the third week in, in October, which has lost a little bit of its luster because of Tennessee struggles. Alabama and, and um, LSU has become a, a really important rivalry game, not only for the West, but the, the conference as a, as a whole. Uh, the Iron Bowl is, is one that has a lot on the line every single year. So I, I don't know that I can speak objectively about the rest of these rivalries because I haven't experienced it the way I have the Florida-Georgia rivalry as a kid as a fan as a player you know now somebody that covers it for the media but um you know i think florida georgia is up there because it's in that neutral site because of all the the history around um going over to jacksonville and the visuals of it all i think it makes it if it's not the most important rival it's it's, it's maybe the most special rivalry game in the conference Chris, uh, we asked Tebow about this a few weeks ago, and I was curious because we were still seeing the beginnings of Felipe Franks and what he was trying to develop into in Dan Mullen's system. But I'm, I'm curious your thoughts uh, because it didn't. I mean, I don't think anybody has sold on him as just this stud QB who's going to you know go out there and, and and win you a game necessarily if you're down twenty you know twenty four points. I think you know as we saw against Vandy, Florida's still got to rely on the running game, but. What have you heard from from people behind the scenes just about Felipe's development this year and how he's been able to to succeed and, and really improve in Dan Mullen's system? Yeah, I don't know about behind the scenes, but I think we've all kind of experienced a, a contrast from last year to this year. He was very loose with the football, whether it was fumbling in the pocket under pressure or throwing it into coverage and, and giving it up with an interception. You know, I think he's become much more judicious with his throws and, and decision-making. Um, 
he's always had a really good arm, as we saw against Tennessee last year on that that, yeah. that final throw to beat the balls. But he's, um, I think he's a little bit more selective with when to when to try to force it in and when when not to. I think that's been one of the biggest differences. I think that's what I saw them kind of do last two weeks ago against Vandy was revert to the 2017 form where they're turning the football over, where they were making mistakes in the red zone. And it was costing them opportunities, and they were able to figure things out in the second half and pull away. But that's going to be one of the biggest keys in this game. Is is and I don't think I don't think Felipe Franks has to win the football game for you. He just can't lose the football game for you. And I think that there's a bunch of talent around the quarterback position in this offense. The offensive line is getting better. I think Jordan Scarlett's starting to run more like he did in 2016 before being suspended last year. You know, I see um, the receivers getting better and better and, 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 and evolving in this offense. So, you know, I think that um, I think he's doing what they ask him to do. And I think this coaching staff, as opposed to last coaching staff, where they, they wanted you to do exactly things the way that they wanted it done, these guys are looking at the talent that they have and they're saying, hey, this is, this is what we need to maximize and here's the deficiencies that we need to, to minimize. And I thought they had a great game plan against um, Mississippi State where the defensive line for the Bulldogs obviously had an advantage over Florida's offensive line, but they neutralized that with a bunch of the quick passing, the screens to the wide receivers, the, uh, the swing passes to the running backs, forcing that defensive line to kind of chase sideline to sideline to where they became you know, not only unable to rush the passer, but also became fatigued from that pursuit of the football and in later portions of the game, they were able to line up and run the football at them because they had, they had created some, some fatigue for that defensive line. So, you know, I look at the way that they've, they've kind of played to the strengths of their offense, and I think that's a credit to this coaching staff. That's where I've seen them grow the most. And I think mentally, when Florida went down in the fourth quarter to LSU, I was thinking, oh, man, this, this game's over. They don't have the leadership. They don't have the, the confidence to come back from something like that. And what they do, they went right down the football field with a mix of throws. They ran some speed option. You know, great call on third and seven with a quarterback power. Even down inside the red zone where they go with the reverse pass throwback from the tight end that just joined the team a few months earlier uh, to the quarterback. I mean, the, the, the I'll say the guts, but uh, there's a B word that I would use for, for Dan Mullen <laughs> and his play calling that I think uh, is even, you know, it, it's, it's one thing to have those plays in your repertoire. It's another to dial them up in the circumstances that he has. The double pass at Mississippi State to, for the touchdown, the, the throwback, you know, inside the 20 in the fourth quarter to the quarterback. I mean, those, those things are are not for the faint of heart. And um, I give Dan Mullen a lot of credit for that, too. Let's stick with Dan Mullen because I think if he wins this game, he gets a nice leg up for SEC Coach of the Year. And obviously, Ed Orgeron and Mark Stoops are going to be involved in that conversation as long as their teams continue to win. Last year, Kirby Smart was the runaway SEC Coach of the Year. What is your rest-of-the-way prediction for this year to win that award for SEC Coach of the Year? Oh, man. I mean, I think it, I think it comes down to those three guys. I mean, it's, it's got to be Jimbo Fisher, Ed Orgeron, and, and, and Dan Mullen. Um, and that's no... That's no uh, no knock against Chad Morris or against Jeremy Pruitt because I think both of those guys have done an awful lot to show that they're, they're, those programs have some potential. I think the thing for those two teams that I've seen, even though maybe they don't have the, the talent to compete every week, is, is I've seen some fight from both of them that I didn't see last year. I think that's a credit to those coaches in terms of changing the culture and the expectation level. 
Um, but I, I really do, you know, I look at the job that that uh, Jimbo Fisher's done, not only with the team as a whole, but with the quarterback and Kellen Mond that had some potential, was maybe more of an athlete than anything else, but has turned him into a really good passer. Um, you know, that offense is, is so much different with a fullback, with tight ends. I mean, Jay Sternberger has become maybe one of the biggest mismatch weapons in the conference this season. So, uh, well, that's come a long way from an offense that didn't even use a tight end last year under Kevin Sumlin. Um, I look at I look at Ed Orgeron. That, there were only what, two coaches that people even discussed being on the hot seat in the preseason, and Ed Orgeron was probably number one on that list. And not only has he taken himself off the hot seat, he's, he's put LSU in the mix for, for to Atlanta in December. So I, I think he's done a tremendous job. And then Sam Mullen taking a 4-7 and seven team to, to competing in the East as well um, has been really impressive too. So I, I think it comes down to – Maybe maybe which team gets to Atlanta? You know, if, if um, you know if, if one of these these coaches is able to navigate their their program to Atlanta in year in, in this this season, man, I think it's uh, I think it's going to be amazing to uh, to kind of watch it play itself out. I don't know that we've had kind of the parity that we've had in the last um, you know in the last few seasons than than what we get to experience this year. Yeah, great. It's good to have the the East back too, and maybe even a little bit stronger than the West. Um, Going back to the game this weekend, uh, this Saturday, give me one player that's not a quarterback uh, from Florida and Georgia who will have the biggest impact on whether or not their team wins Saturday. Well, I think for Georgia, one of the things that has kind of prevented them from being as consistent offensively as what we kind of expected them to be was DeAndre Swift and his injury. I think getting that bye week and a chance to recover and rest Hopefully for, for the Bulldogs, you know, he's able to come back because he, he means so much more than just being a, a running back. You think about what they how they utilized him. He was their third down back in a lot of situations last year. They'd motion him all over. He'd play in the slot. They'd throw him the football as a wide receiver. He just can do so much for you that um, that versatility has been missed with him being limited due to the, the groin injury that he, he's uh, been fighting through. So I think he's, he's an important one to, to get back and get healthy. Um, you know, for Florida, shoot, I, I mentioned Jordan Scarlett. I think Jordan Scarlett's a guy that's, that's bringing a little bit more of the physical running aspect back to kind of the way that we experienced it in the second half of that 2016 season for Florida. You know, I really think Van Jefferson is a guy that's starting to emerge at the wide receiver position. Um, he, he's productive in the league at, when he was at Ole Miss. Um, he's the kind of guy that can step in, even though he hadn't played in this game before, can step in and, and not be overwhelmed by the magnitude of this game. So, I mean, those, those are a few players that I think stand out to me as, as guys that um, you know need to have a big football game. Uh, if I look at a, a defensive player for Florida, Ja'Kai Polite is, is continuing to ascend. Um, we've heard time and time again from the coaches about how special a player he is, and his, his season maybe started a little bit slow. I think he's benefited from having guys like David Reese and Pete Jefferson come back after missing the first couple games of the season. But um, you know, as inconsistent as Georgia's offensive line has been, uh, that's that's one one place I look for Florida to try to uh, you know make some hay is, is disrupting that that offense by you know penetrating, particularly rushing the quarterback uh, like Jakai Polite has done so well this season. Before we get to Family Feud, I, I've got to ask, you know, big topic of conversation all week is the Devin White targeting stuff. 
And of course, everybody is everybody wanted to see this overturn. SEC is not going to do that. We don't really have a process in place right now. Tell us why targeting is the worst and why this rule should totally just fade away in terms of the ejection and all that stuff. Well, I think it's, I think it's a very harsh penalty, and it's, it's very subjective in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I think you struggle with this at the, the college and NFL level is rules are written a certain way, and if you, if you interpret them to the letter of the law, then it, it takes away intent. And I think, I think we all can tell the difference between an intentional, you know, headhunting kind of blow from a defender versus, you know, some, some contact that maybe was, was not intentional. And I think that's why there needs to be levels of, of fouls in this way, almost like what we have in, in college basketball with, with flagrants, you know, flagrant fouls or, or the NBA, you know, where you have a, a flagrant, flagrant one and flagrant two. Um, those things would allow for a little bit more um, – it has a little bit more discrepancy when it comes to the, the penalty because it is so harsh. Think about what, what LSU is going to be missing. Not only their leader and the guy that gets them lined up, their quarterback on the defense with Devin White being out the first half, but the production. I mean, he's one of the, the, the highest – grossing tacklers over the last couple seasons. And that's not just because of the, the single uh, unassisted tackles. It's more so because of the assisted tackles. He's flying around. He's, he's chasing the ball. He's finishing up tackles. This is a guy that, that you're going to miss production from tremendously against maybe the, the most explosive first-half offense we've ever seen. Alabama comes out, and they'll put 49 points on you in the first half, and the game's over with. So to lose a guy that's as important to LSU's defense as Devin White is, is um is really disappointing for them and it's it's it cheats us as a fan base from from not being able to see maybe the best of LSU going up against the best of Alabama in the first half yeah I think that's those are perfectly fair points we're going to close you out here with uh with family feud um you you experienced this at SEC media days so I mean you're yeah. you're a family feud veteran um Marlo's going to hit veteran. you with I think we got 10, 10 questions, 10, 11 questions here, um, all of which will totally make you look like the smartest guy in the world. So, Marler, take it away. So, I mean, that was the original intent, but, but Chris, I found out this morning, there's something we joke around on, on the podcast a lot about me being nine years old and throwing a tennis match on purpose uh, and losing on purpose so I could go watch the 94 SEC championship game. I didn't realize until this morning you caught the game-winning touchdown. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, that was me. I actually... Uh... I threw I threw a pass on a double pass down to Aubrey Hill to get to the two yard line, and then I caught the caught the game winner the next play. So I, I feel like I had a pretty good fingerprint in that, and so maybe indirectly you threw that match to watch me, you know, play well in that game. I appreciate it, man. I mean, those are those are your words, not mine, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> so I was, I'm not going to take it easy on this on you for this family feud, but are you ready? Yes, sir. Let's go. All right. First question. What's the first thing I should buy after winning the $1.6 billion jackpot tonight? Oh, man, I, I think you got to get a big uh, yacht. I, I, I'm kind of into this yacht like thing here recently. Like, I want to have a I want to have a, a big boat with, with a big party on there like you see on Entourage or something like that. So that's what I would uh, advocate Ooh. for. Yeah, I mean, me too. I'm definitely going through a yacht phase as well. Um, next question, <laughs> best Halloween costume. Yeah. Best Halloween costume I've ever worn, or best one out there in general. You've ever worn? Ooh, I went with like a, uh, I went with like a, a one of those three hundred like 
Spartan kind of warrior kind of thing. And if anybody, you know, if you know me, you know I don't like to wear shirts a lot. So that that let me Fair, yeah. let me go around with a Halloween costume that didn't require a shirt, which I was, you know, pretty happy about. So that was my favorite one of all time, probably. Okay, that's almost all of mine require shirts, but that's fine. It's a perfect segue. <laughs> What's the best diet or workout tip uh, you can give me to fit in one of those bomb ass suit jackets you wear on Saturday? <laughs> oh man, I would say I, I think I'm blessed. First of all blessed because i got great genes and, and blessed because i don't i don't crave sweets at all i i don't like uh you know i don't i, I like eating fruit i like eating healthy so you know, if you can limit the um limit all the the bad foods i don't know if, i don't know how your 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 sweet tooth is but if you can limit some of those bad foods and just uh create some discipline with the diet that 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 goes a long way i'm, I'm really regretting this whole question series here because i thought we were like really good friends before this um next question best looking former florida football player and i do have the answer so but you got the answer for me best looking former i do i, I do i go with jesse palmer maybe chris leak man those eyes chris leak i was just with chris leak yesterday at the uh chris DeMarco golf tournament yeah he's a he's a good looking dude for sure that's got weird but it's fine next question favorite dmb song favorite what Dave Matthews Band song. I know you're a big oh, fan. Oh, DMB. I thought you said DMB. Yeah, I love DMB. So, um, man, I would probably go. Um, oh man, there's so many of them. You put me on the spot here. I, I, I think all time I've crashed into me. Maybe. Okay, know. we're let's, we're back on the on the right track to being friends again. What's the best tourist attraction to see in Florida this weekend? The best tourist attraction. Mm-hmm. Oh man, it sounds like you have the answer to this. I'm nervous about this. Um, I don't know. Is it the is it the uh, is it the fair outside of the uh, uh, Florida Georgia game? I don't know what. Yes, but specifically the workers with the spiderweb tattoos on their elbows at the fair. It was a very good guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Next that's question. A good, that's a good point. Who would win in a fight, an actual live alligator or Coach O? <laughs> I want to see Coach O rip his shirt off and, and wrestle the alligator because, uh, you know, you've heard those stories over the years about him you know, getting the team fired up by ripping his shirt off or pushing the desk over at USC when he didn't get the job. I would say I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with an alligator just because I think it's an unfair matchup, but I think it'd be a better fight than with uh, most humans. So I'll give it's I'll definitely give unfair to the alligator. That's that mean we're it's close, but uh, better dancer Dan Mullen or Elaine from Seinfeld. Oh, man, that is a close one, too. Dan Ooh. Mullen, uh, I'm going to go with Dan Mullen only because Elaine was really, really bad. That's that's fair. Okay. Uh, your favorite cocktail for an outdoor party? What time of year are we in? You just, you take me through the seasons, my man. Well, I mean, here's the thing. If I'm, if I'm down in the Bahamas, man, I like a nice mojito with the shirt off. I'm going to go with that. If we're Amen. In the, if we're in the fall, I'm going to go... Uh, I'm going to go like Crown and Coke, something like that, a little darker liquor, but um, I think it depends on the setting. I'm, I'm still in a vodka soda mode because it's calories count for me, but that's, I like those answers. Um, well, you know, you know me, that's, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, that's my go-to. I'm a Belvedere soda guy with a lime. That's, that's what I drink all the time. So that's my, that's my go-to. Well, cheers to that. Um, two questions left. Who wins the world series? Um, I'm going to go, Dari Noka is a huge Dodgers fan, so I'm going to take the Dodgers for him. You're just breaking my heart left and right. Last question. Who wins Saturday in Jacksonville? 
Man, I don't, you know, this is my heart speaking here. I hope it's Florida. I mean, I'm allowed to go ahead and be unbiased here with you guys, but uh, I'm allowed to be biased with you guys. But uh, I don't know, man. I, I'm not, I haven't made my declaration yet. I'll, I'll do that on our show on Friday night. But um, in the interim, I'm, uh, I'm keeping the fingers crossed for my alma mater. Okay, then Bo's question, who wins BAM LSU? Uh, I think it's Alabama. Alabama's just too good. I don't think there's anybody that can keep up with uh, that offense this year. So uh, I'm going to go with Alabama, and it's, it's probably not going to be all that close, I would imagine, either. That's a really strong finish by you, Chris. I, I appreciate it. It was one of the higher scores we've ever had. I'm telling you right now, it is exactly 69 points. You are it's sharing the lead. Very, very, very proud. <laughs> that that was what I was going for. I was going for that 69 mark. Always, always on the bucket list. <laughs> Chris, we will definitely have you on very, very soon. You can come back and get 69 points again. We we appreciate you coming on. We, we hope that you enjoy Florida, Georgia this weekend. Uh, don't have too many of those uh, cocktails. I, I hear that that's kind of a big deal uh, at, this, at this thing. Oh, do live it up. I'll be, I'll be in the studio. Unfortunately, I will not be in Jacksonville. I'll be up in, uh, in Charlotte in the studio watching from afar. But I refuse. To uh, be politically correct, it'll always be the largest outdoor cocktail party to me. So I'm sticking Love with that, that title. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. Chris, appreciate you coming on. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk soon. Sounds good, boys. See ya. Thanks, right. man. Take it easy. Yeah, laser tag champion three years in a row. That was that's like after high school. So like when it was like actual competition. Oh, we're back. Are we back? Oh, we're back. We're talking. Oh, that's oh, my fault. Whoa, my bad. Um, that's Just pat myself on the back here. Better conversation than how much shrimp you ate, probably, but. Um, yeah, no, that was... The shrimp sounded fancy, but yeah, that's fine. You need to take your laser tag champ trophy and throw it away until you win on the big stage, you know, as Scott Cochran would what say. Would, what would that be? Uh, national laser tag champ? Duh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, I'd probably be down for that. Uncle Chris, tell us about some fun stuff that you learned. Uh, gambling and, well, do we want to do the, the at least you're not first? Well, I'm, you know what? Just get in the back seat. I got this. All right. I'm, you know what? Uncle Chris did a deep dive on stats for the second straight week this week. Uh, really enjoyed it. It's actually like like kind of nerding out about it. Just I, all day Monday, just looked up stats for different teams, all that kind of stuff. Did a, a stat series um, called a, a stat pack, like snack pack from Billy Madison, oh. but with numbers instead of pudding. Anyway, uh, so here's something I, I, I thought of. We're about to go over into like, the gambling segment here. Um, a couple of stats. I know a lot of you, you know, Maybe you're a, an Arkansas fan. It's been a tough season. Maybe you're a Vandy fan, and you know I don't know why you would do that to yourself, but you're also having a tough season. Here's a little segment um, to make you feel better. It's called At Least You're Not. At Least You're Not UConn's Defense. Are you ready for this? I was, dun, 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 I was ready dun, dun. about 30 seconds ago. I was not born ready, there but ready go. 30 seconds ago. Boom. UConn's defense is ranked last in, in the FBS. They are giving up 651 yards per game. How is that possible? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that has nothing to do with SEC football at all. I just am still blown away every time I read it. I think, uh, who's it? Uh, I think on Alex Kirshner of SB Nation tweeted that as Halloween, he's just going to let everybody go past him and say that he's the UConn defense, which yeah, I thought of that much. first. That's pretty good. That's good. Um, all right, moving on. We are going to get to the Week 9 SEC lines. Uh, I was going to get into a bad beat. If you guys, I don't want to get into it now because it's only going to make me upset. But if any of you saw how Western Kentucky lost to Old Dominion last week, that at least you aren't that. That was one of the worst. Did you see it? I did not see it. 
Oh my gosh. So Western Kentucky scores like a minute and 41 to go. They go by seven points. They let Old Dominion drive the length of the field. They score with nine seconds left, okay? They kick off um, in, like, on like the last play, like they try to like, complete a pass, something like that, and there's, there's a penalty uh, for like pass interference or something, so they have to they get another play. It's like a free play. They get another free play after that on another penalty. They line up to go kick a field goal, and they miss it, and then they had a false start, so they had to go back and re-kick it again. So they kick it again, kick six, the guy starts like running it back, gets out of the 15-yard line. One of the one of the Western Kentucky players got a face mask, got them in. This is all with no time left on the clock. There's like six plays that happen with no time left on the clock. They went from like playing defense on the the opponent's 30-yard line to lining up for like a 27-yard field goal and winning the game. That's tough one to of the do. Most ridiculous thing. It's almost impossible. You have to really try to get that kind of to shoot yourself in the foot in that fashion with no time left on the yeah. clock. That. I applaud that. That's hard to do. We don't see enough of that in I college mean, football. I'm not going to applaud it because I had money on it. Uh, so, you know, not not a great start. But last night there was football on, uh, if not Maction. What is it? Conference USA? Uh, Troy and South Alabama. What do we call uh, uh Fun Belt. Fun Belt. Yeah, it's a fun belt. There you go. So, um, Uncle Chris, already 2-0 on the week. Hell of a start. Took Troy minus 11, and then I did a little teaser here. So... We're going to do something a little bit different here. In, in honor of the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Connor, you're going to have to. Whoa, I thought, I thought we weren't allowed to call it oh, that yeah. anymore. I mean, oh, yeah. Not indoors. It's outdoor. A lot of cocktails. Okay. All right. We're going to do a little segment that, that I've, I've been doing for a while. It's one of my favorite things. It's called winning and boozing. We're going to, we're going to talk about each game, and then we're going to say what uh, tailgate beverage. Okay. Best supplies for both. Are you ready? I was ready 30 seconds ago. What does that even mean? Uh, Vandy is a one-and-a-half-point favorite at Arkansas. Go. Who are you taking? I'm taking Arkansas. Story of a hurl. Rakeem Boyd shows up big in this one. I think that Vandy just doesn't have the offensive firepower. Even if I'm not sure if they're getting Keyshawn, John, Keyshawn Vaughn back for this game. But even so, I just I think Arkansas is doing some better things offensively. Jan the Dan Chavis. Comes Jan up the Dan. with another big performance for his defense. Yeah, uh, I'll take the Hogs at home. So, here's what I would say about Vandy. Um, they have Kyle Shermer, who's, according to Jordan Rogers, the best quarterback ever. And Arkansas has the 110th ranked pass defense in the country, which is not good. Not but great. I don't understand why Vandy's, why they're favored at all. Vegas in general. loves Vandy. It's so It makes no sense to me. So, here's the thing. I've said this all week. The Maybe, like, the best play of the whole weekend is the under at 52. Because the total's gotten under in six of Vandy's last eight games and five of Arkansas's last seven. But Vanderbilt is one and four against the spread in their last five games. They are also one and six in their last seven on the road. I'm taking Arkansas. Love it. Arkansas. There you that go. That can be my weird pronunciation. Well, it doesn't need to be, but yeah, sure. Okay. Whatever, whatever you want to do. Uh, up next, another barn burner. Tennessee heads to beautiful Columbia, South Carolina. For some unknown reason, Carolina is an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. Wait, we didn't say our drink for, uh, for Vandy, oh, Arkansas. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's pretty obvious, it's right? It, it's Zima. Yeah. No question. Jolly Rancher, treat yourself. I don't know. Throw it in there. Um, thank you. Good catch there. Yeah. Next up, Tennessee at South Carolina. Carolina is an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. What do you got? I think eight-and-a-half is too much. I think that's, that's way too much. I, th- I think that... Jake Bentley struggles early on in this one. Um, I think Tennessee at least keeps it close. South Carolina wins this game, but ends up being one of those like 
three, four point games. Eight and a half is a lot for an offense that has really not been that consistent. And it's gone up. I mean, they're coming off the bye, so I get I get that part of it. Um, <clears throat> I mean, and, and to be fair, Tennessee's offense has not been great statistically. I just feel like even though they they got blown out last weekend, the Georgia the score was a lot you know different than I think how that game actually played out. I, I think they've improved each week. I think so too. I, I, I kind of I I wasn't I wouldn't be surprised if they were favored in the game. They're obviously not. Um, I think Jared <laughs> Garantano is going to play. That's what it looks like. He's got yeah bruised ribs there. Well, Muschamp said that they're preparing to face either he or Keller Chris, but I, I don't know if that makes that much of a difference because I think this one ends up being low scoring anyways. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And the six of the last eight uh, games between these two have gone for the under. Regardless, I'm going to take Carolina to win. I, I and I think it's by more than a touchdown, but I don't think it's I don't think they cover the spread. I, Tennessee's played really. I wouldn't be surprised if Tennessee wins. I wouldn't. They be played either. really well. Yeah. So all right, moving on. Oh, the drink, drink of choice. What I said. Beer pong with white wine because it just feels like it's, this whole situation is like why? Are, please don't let me lose this. Please don't let me embarrass myself. Like each fan base has to be like, please God, so we're not going to lose to these people. I thought you were going to do uh, Gatorade and vodka so that you could hydrate yourself in the hottest place on earth, Columbia, South Carolina. Is that pretty? Gonna good? Be, it's like forty six there right now. It's beautiful. That's good. I like that. There you go. You're catching on. I'm catching on. <clears throat> All right. Next up, Kentucky at Mizzou. Mizzou is a seven point favorite against the. Number 12 team in the country, despite not having a single SEC victory this year. Do I even need to say it? I want, the I f- want you to. I want the fighting Benny Snells. Uh, I, I think the fighting Benny Snells win this game outright. I think they do more than just cover a seven-point spread. Um, I, I understand that Mizzou is expecting to have Emmanuel Hall back, and maybe they're going to be a little bit more explosive on offense. But why do we continuously overlook this Kentucky defense and how good it's been. I think they get pressure. The SEC. They get pressure on Drew Locke. We've seen how much he has struggled with pressure. Josh Allen, they get after him. I, I just think that this is a Kentucky defense that is playing a lot better than Vegas is certainly giving it credit for. Um, maybe maybe this game does stay close and it stays, you know, you know, a touchdown the entire time, but I'll take the Cats to win on the road. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, like, I, I'm with you. I, I don't get the line. But what I really don't understand is the fact that it stayed there all week. Yeah. Which means it, like Vegas, I think, knows something we don't know. I don't know what that is. I mean, Kentucky's coming into this game with more wins, like, or more conference wins than five teams combined. In the SEC, yeah. In the SEC. I mean, so I don't really get that part of it. Um, Kentucky's defense is legit. Uh, I made my own power rankings here of disrespect. Um Inner city substitute teacher, stepdad, Rodney Dangerfield, uh, mall cops, and Kentucky football. All all disrespected all the time. It makes no sense to me. I that being said, I'm gonna pick Missouri to win. Oh but not gosh. cover the spread. Oh my I mean the it Vegas knows something we don't know. It, it, it can't be the environment. There's people sitting on rocks out there. That makes no sense. For shame. For shame. I, I guess I'll just handle the, the the Snell Yeah Heisman campaign myself and you can just go off and do your own thing. By the way, why those towels that said Snell, yeah, like that, why is the font in like the Doom PC video game? That's a good question. People don't take enough time to think about their fonts. The font sends a big message. I'm just saying. Yeah, very good point. Okay, uh, drink for this one, Bear Fight. All right. Do you know what a Bear Fight is? I don't. I was going to let you explain it. <laughs> so it is, it's disgusting, first off. If anyone ever tries to offer you one, don't say yes. Uh, basically, Bear Fights, they, they are... Two, hold on, let me get this little description I had earlier. Two completely different teams in a really interesting matchup. 
Um, it is basically a Jaeger bomb followed by a Irish car bomb, and you take them back to back. And then the milk curdles in your stomach, and you throw up at the airport. That's exactly what happens. Anyway, moving on to the next game. Your team, Mississippi State, back at home with the Cowbells. They are a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Actually, now it's up to three against Oof. Texas A&M. They, they're favored by the same amount of points that, that they scored last week. It's, man, I, I think the Aggies win and cover. Um, yeah, if they win, of course they're going to well, cover. Uh, yeah, yeah, because they're inexplicably underdogs. I, I'll call, I'll call a spade a spade. Mississippi State offensively, I cannot put any trust in that group right now. I don't think that they have things figured out. Unless the only way I think the Mississippi State wins this game is if Keaton Thompson comes in and starts throwing darts all over the place, and this ends up being this a game where do. they figure something out. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's necessarily going to happen. I hate to say it, A and M, A and my pick. I mean, yeah, I'm with you. And this was kind of a confusing line because, as well because I kind of thought A&M would be favored. They're coming off the bye week. Jimbo is only 4-4 four and four in his career on like coming off a bye week. Um, you know, when you look at it from like, a talent standpoint, I think they're probably evenly matched. Maybe Mississippi State has the advantage. But, you know, like you talked about, like, the number one like rushing offense versus number one rushing defense. I don't think Nick Fitzgerald, I think we know what we know about him. He's not going to, like, throw for 300 yards and light you up. And that is the only like, you know, kind of like inefficiency of, of this entire defense. Jimbo's a better coach. Right. But. I mean, I, I don't want to, okay, so this is going to come off like I'm jumping off the Joe Moorhead bandwagon. I am not. I'm still a Joe Moorhead believer. Let me let me say that. But I'm saying maybe for the rest of the season, until he gets a different quarterback in there who can throw the ball, I kind of go on the Mike Elko bandwagon. I start advocating for Mike Elko to get, power, to get a Power 5 job at season's end. What say you? I, I mean, I have no comment on that. I, 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 <laughs> yes. Thank you. Um, I mean, I will say this. They, they're coming into this game, I think at least they're going to be the more confident team going into this game, coming off the bye week especially. And, and like, they've, you know, as, as any of their fans will tell you, they're the best two-loss team in the country. So, oh, Texas The drink? Is, yeah. Yeah, no, not Mississippi State. Um, the drink of choice? Tecate. It seems like different and foreign, like, you know, like this northerner coming down here to coach in Starkville and this fast-talking southerner from the Nick Saban coaching tree coming down here to College Station wearing those stupid boots that you know he never wore in his life before that. And you're like, what is this drink, man? Is this foreign? Like, no, it's just basically Mexican Bud Light. <laughs> so that's, that's what, that's what that's we good. have. That's good. That's really good. I like that. Thank you. Um, all right, last but not least, we go to the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, Florida versus Georgia, Georgia versus Florida. However you want to say it, just don't say line. And am I right? Am I right? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I've already said that okay. probably too, four too different much, yeah. times this week. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Well, <laughs> just like the stat thing. Um, so this line came down a full point today. It's Georgia by six and a half, over under at fifty one and a half. What do you got? I'm gonna stick with what I've been saying for a while, and that Georgia is. Ooh, that hasn't worked out well in the past. I know it hasn't. Um, I'm doubling down, tripling down, whatever you want to call it. Georgia is the most talented team in the SEC East. They are still, I think, a full head above Florida. I think that Florida does a lot of things well that Georgia will have to obviously account for. I think those situations where they get into third and Grantham and whatnot and how Jake Fromm from handles that is the key in this game. I know Georgia fans mock this, but Todd Grantham has been able to make a pretty good living for himself the last few years putting together defenses that rank in the top 31 nationally. But just saying, um, 
Sorry. 31. That's a hell of a wow. Isn't that a great number? He was like 31. Yeah, there. he was like 31 at, at Louisville and then like 24 at Mississippi State, whatever. I think that George is still able to win this game, and I think that they do some things running the ball that they have not been able to do at least consistently in SEC play. Definitely were not able to do it down the stretch uh, against LSU because they just totally got away from the run. Jim Chaney is going to come into this game with two weeks to prepare, knowing that you got to be able to run the ball against Florida. And I think right. both I think both teams are going to want to take this game out of their quarterback's hands. We see very run-heavy offenses, but I think George is still able to win this game by maybe somewhere in the 10 to 14-point range. So I hate doing this, but I agree with you. Whoa. And here's why. And it's it's because of everything you just said about the Grantham thing. Now, if you, and also, like, what's weird going into this game is that there's a – a lot of people, like an overwhelming amount of like people in the national media, fans, people like on on the television set, man, that are not only picking Florida to cover but win outright. And I think a lot of people's confidence in Georgia got you know shook pretty bad after that loss at LSU. The last time they played, they were a seven and a half point favorite. They got beat by twenty. I I just think they're they're built better as a team. Um, they don't get after the quarterback, and if if they if Jake Fromm's gonna be running all day like the same way Joe Burrow was, that's gonna be a problem. But the thing is, you bring up the Grantham thing. I know he was in Florida last year. What was the score of the game last year against Florida? Forty-two to seven. Georgia won that game. Okay, and so when Dan Mullen and, and Grantham played Georgia last year, what was the score of that game? That was what? It was like thirty-one. Thirty-eight to three. Thirty. Was it thirty-three? I thought it was thirty-one. To three. I think it was either way. It was either broad. way, it was yeah. bad. Yeah. And. And in that game, I think Fromm only had like eight completions on twelve attempts for like you know the flea flicker or something yards. Yeah, the, the huge flea flicker. I don't think they're worried about Grantham. I don't think Grantham's that, that like they should be crazy. worried. They should be worried about Grantham because of what they did against LSU, what they did to Joe Burrow and their that was their only loss all year. And they, they harassed him. Close to being the same quarterback as Jake Fromm. Um, I'm just saying. I'm just saying they were they've been able to get such good pressure off the edges. These, these situations where Jake Fromm was really, really bad on third down against right. LSU, that is going to be the key factor in this game. And if he gets, if they get home with some of those blitzes, this is a way, way different game that we've seen in, in, well, at least, you know, in terms of experience against a Grantham defense or against a Florida defense, whatever you want to call right. it. I, I will say that. But here's, here's the thing I keep coming back to with this game. Remember the offseason comment that Dan Mullen made after National Signing Day? When he was asked about Georgia, Georgia's you know just put together this historic recruiting class, and they're number one right. in the country, coming off the national runner-up season, all that stuff. And he had the comment about every blind squirrel finds a nut. I don't understand why he said that. He said that to kind of rile up some Florida fans, whatever. But right. that 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 quote has been posted on the Georgia lock uh, on the and the Georgia weight room, as well as the quote from CC Jefferson at SEC Media Days about how it's going to feel so great when they beat Georgia. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm having some flashbacks to when Georgia last year beat Auburn, and then after Isaac Nott yeah. is saying in the you know in the post game celebration, we whipped the dog crap out of him. I'm just saying, right. I'm having some flashbacks. No, I, I agree with that, and I don't understand why he would say that anyway. It's like like walking up to somebody with like a like a really nice like, was oh, that a Corvette? That piece of crap, and then you like getting like a PT Cruiser. But like, anyway, the thing with Mullen and and Grantham, like I I think that is the difference. And you know, going into that LSU game, Georgia only had three turnovers all year. They right. had four. It's the most they ever had like, under a Kirby Smart coach team. And Florida's ranked third nationally with uh, in turnovers, getting 18 total, I think, this season. They're kind of the Look new stats. They're like the 2017 Miami in a, in a lot of ways with, oh, with being able to thrive off, off turnovers. That's, that's kind of what they've been able to do. I'm not saying that they're yeah. going to have the same end-of-season result that Miami did, but, you know, that's kind of the way that they've been built this year. But people, like, having more confidence in Felipe Franks going to win a game than Jake Fromm? Hell, man. 
If you tell me that, I will call that addiction hotline thing from the TV with that guy with the glasses that don't fit immediately. What's the, anyway? What's the drink for this game of mojito? Jack and Coke. <laughs> Jack and Coke. I feel like that's or like beam and ginger. That's uh, every time I'm in Athens, it's all I hear from like 87 frat bros. Jack and Coke is perfect. It's southern. It's bourbon. It's it's Coke. You know, it's gonna be a little bit a little chill in the air. I'll be at a pumpkin patch. <sighs> Anyway. Let's wrap it up with fourth and wrong here. We've got a lot of good ones this week. Uh, we weren't able to get to all of them, but I think we're going to do Take it away. I'm tired of talking. Uh, all right. This is from our good friend, One Bearded Golfer. Um, he says, asks us, what defunct lowly chain restaurant from your childhood would you bring back? You go Me? first. You go first. Shoney's or Fuddruckers? Fuddruckers is still wrong. Is it? Oh, yeah. There's, they I, I they mean, got them in Orlando. We're the, we're the fast food chain restaurant capital of the world, as one beer golf like pointed out. Like a nacho cheese fountain when you walked in. Sho- I mean, Shoney's, though, because, like, I mean, it was a, everything was salty, even, like, the ketchup. But it was, it was like a nicer buffet. I could go for, uh, for Benegas. Yeah, or steak and ale. That's us nope. Yankees don't know what that is. Yeah, okay. no, it's, like, it's like a night's end, but with food and less bed bugs. Bennigan's was basically uh, poor man's chilies, but it was good because they had like the Irish themed stuff, and you know, as an Irish man, always and, like, appreciate pictures that. of like high school like volleyball teams on the on the walls. Oh yeah, it was your neighborhood Irish bar and grill. Yeah, that's what they do. Um, all right, let's look at this. This one I thought about a lot. If you could make any small animal as large as a cow, what would you choose? That's from Josh Taylor uh, on Twitter. Uh, corgis. Ooh, that's a weird-looking corgi. I don't care. They're adorable. They Always. Would, would they be adorable that big? I mean, yeah. Okay. Well, they, I mean, they are pretty, like, aggressive, but... Um, all right, so that's... Final an answer. Inter- that's an interesting take. I went with lizard, because if you make them the size of a cow, we're one step closer to dinosaurs coming back. You really thought that one out. I did. Oh, I did. <laughs> um, I'm just saying, that'd be pretty awesome to have a, a pet lizard that big. That no, it would not. Have you seen any of the Jurassic Parks? Every time something goes wrong. Every time. Well, Ooh, we got a Ford Explorer. We're safe. No, it's not even an Eddie Bauer edition. Moving on. This is a good one. How do you get your girlfriend into football? That's from Colin.Easley on Instagram. This is a great question, and really an age-old question that I think we've both had a debate at many different points in our relationship. What, what, what's your best strategy for this? I mean, well, my fiance loves, she loves football. Um, but I, I wrote an article about this a, a couple years ago. How to how to like lose a girl in ten games, <laughs> and just an idea of like what to do. And you know, first off, you want to do like prep work, like in the summer. Like you better get invested in like The Bachelor or like Grey's Anatomy oh, for like yes. a solid month beforehand. Because like once football season starts, like you're gonna need those like points in your back pocket. Like no, remember we watched your shows. Um, remember all those house owners we watched. Remember all oh that flipper flop. Fixer upper. Um, and then and then another thing I would say is. So anytime there's a live mascot involved, like let her watch every Georgia game imaginable. Yes, there's a, there's a bulldog. They Same love thing. That. Same thing. Yeah. Yep. That's um, a great point. If there was like a team with uh, like a koala as a mascot, game over. Oh yeah. And then also buy buy him stuff. Like buy buy him like like a jersey. One that's hot, and then two like yeah like that's Bay's wearing your your favorite team stuff. It's good stuff. It's how you build bonds. Yeah, I started to f- break up with them after the season if they if you guys don't win a national championship. I started a football pool at my wife's office, so now they're all addicted to gambling and college football. And I also, nice. uh, yeah, we did like a family fantasy football league that my brother started. And my, you know, my wife is very much invested. She asked me about trades pretty much like when she wakes up in the morning. 
So wow, um, that's a lot. It is it has worked out really really well because she's if you're if you're you know significant other is competitive you can you play into that that's the best right whether it's mascots whether it's competitiveness competition Yell at whatever each other, it is don't talk for several days yeah just do what you got to do but lay that lay foundation the wire. yeah it's it's a smart strategy how about this uh, a job interview with a professional sports team tomorrow any advice that's from freckled fox on Instagram um, well. I could take I could take the I could take this one um, as somebody who worked for a professional sports team uh, very briefly um, I, I interned for the Indianapolis Colts uh, my senior year, oh, okay. my senior year of college sick brag um, and it was just like a PR internship but it did lead to me being able to go to that one Super Bowl so that was really cool too I worked at the Brick in Milledgeville same thing um, the best way to interview with a professional sports team is to Totally not talk about any of their history because they don't want it. They don't want some some fan person in there. They don't they don't want that. You be as neutral as possible. They want people who are not passionate about the team. And if you actually like you, this makes no sense. But if you actually just focus on like yeah, like I'm all very disciplined when it comes to the tasks that I that I have to do, whether it's you know PR, community relations, whatever it is, and you just talk specifically about that. And you say nothing about how you're a fan of the team. Better chance. The first interview I had after college, they told me what like my offer was, and I asked them in the interview, is that before or after taxes? So I don't really have any advice for you. Just say synergy a lot and, and listen to Connor. Next question. If an SEC coach were if each SEC coach were a beer, what would they be? This is a long question. We're not this is by the way yeah, from Jordan. We're not gonna even get into this one that much. I just wanted to bring it up because it's a great question. And Jordan on Sunday, maybe we'll get into it. Yeah, Jordan dot uh, or Jordan underscore uh, wins Stat wins, uh, wins to twins maybe. I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm gonna let you guys interpret that one. But I mean, Saban, Saban is definitely like Stella. It's, it's fancy Bud Light, and it's like it. It's not as great as everyone says it, but it's like, it's a go-to. Stella's so my Stella beer. is my go-to. So it's a wedding beer. Stella is definitely my go-to. Um, I'm gonna say Cocho is PBR oh, because mind. Uh, he is very affordable. Because Steel Reserve, well, Mad Dog. I'm, well, those are really cheap. Four Loco original? Really cheap. Um, just saying. Um, by the way, shout out to uh, our sponsor, Bud Light. Um, yeah. Bud Light is the that. best beer and is the beer for every single SEC coach. Uh, we will tackle that question more in depth later on, I yeah. promise you. But we will circle back to that. Let's close things out with it might mean too much. This was something I found uh, from doing some reporting on the next great Alabama quarterback battle. Um I, I heard, so this was uh, what Hewitt Trustville coach uh, Josh Floyd told me. <laughs> he said that they had uh, their inter, the, the inter-squad scrimmage uh, game before the season last year. And so Paul Tyson, who is Bear Bryant's great-grandson, had these old ladies come up to him, and they were out-of-towners. And they, they had a picture of them with Bear Bryant. And all they wanted to do was meet Bear Bryant's great-grandson have him autograph the picture and take a picture with him. So that's interesting. Old ladies from out of town. All right, that's, you know, I would kind of expect that. Here's another one. One time, Paul Tyson, remember this is a 17-year-old kid um, experiencing this. He had a woman, an out-of-town woman, um, come up to him and just kiss him on the head. Just kiss him on the head. Like like a child going to bed? Uh, Basically, yes. Like wanting to kiss a descendant of the great Bear Bryant. Incredible. That is, um, as I was told from from Josh Floyd, you know, the state is the state is crazy. Alabama is different. We could say that. 
Yep. Um, I bet he's got even better stories. Hopefully, we'll get some of those to come out um, when he is at Alabama. We're going to save five-star reviews for Sunday. Make sure you're sending those in. We did get one, but I want to save it because I think we're going to have more uh, on Sunday. That's my way of just kind of motivating anyone who has not done a five-star review. Make sure you do that. Rate, review, subscribe. Tell your friends, your family, um, your pastor, your your mailman, everybody to subscribe to the Saturday Down South podcast. Tell them how it has made your life better, getting you ready for game day. You are getting everybody ready for game day each and every week, Monday night at 8.30. 8.30 and then Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Definitely make sure you're watching that. Get yourself some money from Uncle Chris. Follow us on Instagram at Saturday Down South. Follow us on Twitter at the SDS Pod. At yeah, maybe C- leave a nice Mother comment every SDS. now and then. Yeah, we, we always appreciate compliments. If you ever want to shoot us just a nice, thoughtful message um, on, on the tweet tweet, that is totally fine. I apologize for saying tweet tweet. It is a dumb, dumb habit. Okay, we're going to wrap that up. We're going to wrap things what up. Is it, what do you always say, Connor? It might be too much. There it is. Enjoy week nine.